Welcome to Trap Talk Live, brought to you by Huntsman Wildlife. I am your host, Ryan Ridgely, owner of Huntsman Wildlife. Homeowners hire Huntsman Wildlife to remove nuisance wildlife from their home because most have no idea where to start. So we remove the animal, we clean up the mess that it made, and we repair the damage that was done. Because bottom line, the only unwelcome house guest in your home should be your in-laws. Still no top Patreon supporters and still no podcast sponsors. But that's all right. We're working things out. We're trying to get it figured out because, well, we're all new to this. So this is podcast number two, numero dos. That's right. We're doing this again. I want to start out by giving a big shout out to the seven anonymous listeners we had last week. Uh, seriously, I, I'm not being facetious. I'm actually quite impressed. Seven of you took the time to listen to podcast, and really, that warms my heart. As long as I continue seeing somebody's listening, I will keep making these podcasts. Now, after listening to last week's podcast, I made some notes and took a look at things and a format and a way I was doing things and wanted to switch it around a bit. So we're actually going to keep the big three, the uh, win, the loss, and the learning lesson of the week. We're going to move that over to the end. And now we're going to hop into latest news and the topic of the week. So as a company, Huntsman Wildlife had a very busy week. We got a lot of calls this week for bats. Yeah, always fun. It's that time of year here in late August, early September, where the bats are very, very active. They're moving around, they're starting to feed heavily, uh, and, and the weather's great. When you have these warm evenings and, and still uh, with very, very little wind, it is ideal opportunity for the bats to be out around hunting. With that still wind or very low wind, the flying insects, which are the bat food source, have great mobility, and so everybody is happy all night long. In national news, California has passed the rodenticide ban bill that has been going through their legal system uh, for the past year and a half, two years here. In essence, banning second-generation anticoagulant baits, uh, also known as S-jars or S-gars, however you want to pronounce it pretty much the same GIF or GIF situation that we've dealt with for years. But these second generation anticoagulant baits are a prominent tool in pest control companies. Uh, we at Huntsman Wildlife do not use rodenticide baits. Uh, that is a whole nother topic for a whole nother podcast. Uh, but I am interested uh, from my 13 years in pest management and my time now as an owner of a wildlife control company to see how exactly California's decision regarding anticoagulant baits and how they're used and how they're applied uh, will affect our industry and the control of rodent populations in the United States. The pest management professional and wildlife control operator in me uh, is hesitant, mainly because they are an effective tool in certain situations to achieve control. Um, from what I've read, it does say that they're still going to allow the use of these baits in warehouses, agricultural food production sites, slaughterhouses, canneries, factories, breweries, stuff like that, and also medical facilities and drug or medical equipment manufacturing. So uh, again, it's one of those, it will be very interesting to see how exactly this pans out 
and what the effects are going to be nationwide for the United States and if this has a global impact at all. But this week we are not going to talk about rodenticides, we're not going to talk about bats, we're going to talk about something completely different. We're going to talk about dead animals and carcass removal. Last night we published a new article on our huntsmanwildlife.com website. Five common questions Cincinnati homeowners have when a wild animal dies on their property. So, because that article is getting so much great feedback and interaction online, I decided to extrapolate that conversation a little bit farther, go into some more detail, and help you guys understand the process and what's involved when an animal dies on your property, what your options are, and where and how to find resources if you need them. Oftentimes, when we get a phone call to Huntsman Wildlife from a potential client or a current client that has a dead animal on their property, one of the first questions out of their mouth is, do I have to worry about if the animal was sick or diseased? So our clients and our customers are worried that if an animal died on their property because it was ill, because it had a disease, because of whatever, they're worried of that transmitting to their pets, to their family members. And that is a very valid concern. We understand that and we try to educate and talk with our clients and explain to them that animals die for various reasons. It could have been hit by a car, it could have been injured. There are many, many different reasons that an animal may die. If it did die because of illness or disease, the likelihood and chances of that actually being communicable cross species is slim. Now I'm not saying that's not going to be a possibility. Heck, right now in September of 2020, we are living through times in which a, a di animal disease, a zoonotic disease has crossed over and become communicable with human beings. And so that's absolutely something to be concerned about. But in the instance that we dealt with this past weekend, a deer had died on a client's property. They were worried about chronic wasting disease and if that was going to affect their dog or going to affect them. Now, the non-existent lawyers here at Huntsman Wildlife will like me to say, uh, first and foremost, I am not a veterinarian. I am not a medical professional. Uh, but I will tell you, I have yet to hear of any cross-infection of chronic wasting disease or CWD from animals to humans. Now that's not saying that there are no risks to having a dead animal on your property. I will strongly state though that if you do have an animal die on your property, keeping children, pets, elderly, and the immunocompromised away from the carcass is probably a good practice. Now again, with Huntsman Wildlife not being a veterinary practice, not being medical professionals, when, when we arrive on site to remove an animal carcass, uh, the likelihood of us being able to diagnose and figure out why that animal died is pretty slim. Now, of course, if you are concerned and you do feel like you need to know in order to have some sort of resolution, uh, I don't know about other states, but I know here in the Cincinnati area in Ohio, uh, the homeowner or property owner can contact a veterinarian who will then contact the Ohio State University Veterinary Medical Center uh, and try to apply for a 
necropsy, which is an animal version of an autopsy. Now that doesn't necessarily uh, mean just because the veterinarian applies for it that Ohio State University uh, VMC will accept the animal and perform the necropsy. A lot of times these situations are actually hindered if uh, late stages of decomposition have happened. So many times a homeowner, a property owner is not going to realize that the animal has perished on her property until a day or two later uh, once the animal has started uh, breaking down, uh, the cell tissue is, is breaking down and the first stages of um, carrion beetles and blowflies have started the consumption process of the body. That's when the smell comes out. Um, and again, like I said, by the time that most homeowners or property owners come across the animal, it is because of the smell. And at that point, uh, it's very difficult because of the breakdown of the cells uh, within the body for a necropsy to show a definitive um, reason and cause of death for that animal. So the second question and concern a lot of people have when they realize that they have a dead animal on their property is who is responsible for the removal of the carcass. Now, this is very dependent on where in uh, Cincinnati, at least for our clients, and I actually where uh, you live. So depending on county guidelines, depending on city guidelines, um, it, it, it changes. I know a lot of places here in the Cincinnati area, if the animal dies on public land, uh, either the roads department or animal control or maintenance will come and remove the animal. On occasion, that will count as the easement. Uh, in some places in the Cincinnati area, there is a six-foot easement from the curb back into the property uh, that may be considered uh, part of the easement. So if you know somebody's driving down the road and uh, contacts a deer with their vehicle and that deer perishes on the easement of the property, you may or may not be able to get the county or the city to remove the animal. However, if it's past that easement, if it's fully on private property, most municipalities, like I said, be it animal control, roads department, uh, maintenance department, most will say that it is the property owner's responsibility for the removal, cleanup, um, and disposal of the animal. Now, even if the city or county is willing to claim responsibility, uh, I will warn you, more than likely, uh, the removal of the animal from, from your property is going to be low on the priority list of whoever has been dispatched to do that work. Um, I'm just from my experience, I know that most maintenance teams, uh, animal control, they have many other duties uh, in going and removing a dead animal from your yard is a low on the list. If it's uh, in the evening or on the weekend or even worse, over a holiday weekend, you could be stuck with that animal on your property for you know another 24 hours or sometimes the entire weekend. The third concern that our clients or potential clients always seem to have is they're, they're not prepared for the cost of the removal and cleanup process of the carcass. And so sometimes they, they ask, well, what happens if I just leave it and 
quote, let nature take its course. To that, I always say it depends on the animal that died. If this is just a 12-pound raccoon that's died on the backside of your property, maybe not a big concern. If it's a 135-pound doe that died on your property, it's going to be a larger concern. Mother Nature has a fantastic process uh, set in place to reclaim her charges. I will spare you the grotesque details, uh, but let's take those two examples of the dead raccoon and the dead deer and break down exactly kind of what's going to happen during the process of just leaving that animal uh, and letting nature, quote, take its course. Now, again, this is assuming that the point at which you, the homeowner, the listener, the property owner, have found the animal uh, is because of the stench. Uh, at that point, the blowflies, or those uh, metallic green and blue flies, have likely uh, found the body. Um, it, the, the, these, these flies have a very fascinating ability to find a carcass within moments of death. Um, it, it is uncanny. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's some science behind it that I will likely end up Googling after I get done recording this podcast. Um, but they are usually one of the first, uh, quote, recyclers on site once, once an animal is perished. Um, these green, blue metallic flies, they, they start the reclamation process. The flies are going to start in the uh, mouth, the rectum, the ears, the nose, and reproductive organs because those are the ex exposed areas of soft tissues. Uh, those are the areas that the flies are able to consume. Uh, they will lay their eggs and the larva will hatch and the larva will then consume even more of the animal. Soon after those blowflies have arrived, uh, the carrion beetles will also arrive uh, and the same process there where the beetles will consume of the uh, flesh, they will lay their eggs, the eggs will hatch, the larva will hatch, uh, the larva will start consuming the flesh of the animal uh, and then they will go into the pupal stage and the process will start all over and that carcass, be it a raccoon or a deer, uh, will be a life-sustaining cycle uh, for a few days, at least in, in the, the raccoon's part. Now, with it being a raccoon, if the animal is in an open area um, and you know the, the flies and the beetles have opened up portions of the animal, that could very easily attract uh, some of your carrion eaters like vultures. Uh, in the Cincinnati area, we have turkey vultures and black vultures. And again, when we're talking about a 13 to 16 pound animal like a raccoon, those birds will likely, once they arrive on site, not much is going to be left of the animal. So all in all, from the time that the homeowner or property owner notices the stench of the animal to the time of it, quote, being resolved, um, the, the, and the vultures have been involved, could be a day, maybe two. Now, sometimes, if the homeowner or property owner is really lucky, in the middle of the night, a uh, very fortunate coyote will end up coming ac uh, across the raccoon carcass. Uh, and because of the size, they're just going to pick it up and they're going to take it away and they're going to have a meal and the problem is going to be solved 
right then and there. Now, if we are to talk about the 135 pound doe that dies on a back end of your property, it is the exact same process of the blowflies and the carrion beetles starting, the vultures coming in, um, but the thing is, is that 13 to 16 pounds versus 135 pounds, that is a lot of flesh, a lot of material, a lot of organic matter that has to break down, that has to be consumed, that has to be uh, put through the cycle, and that just takes longer. So, that being said, even if coyotes were to come across the body, a, a family unit of coyotes with a male and a female adult and, and some young pups, even they wouldn't be able to completely uh, remove the carcass of a 135-pound deer in one night. Uh, and the likelihood of them carrying off um, the actual body cavity is slim. Uh, I, I have seen on multiple occasions uh, where coyotes will separate limbs, uh, they will remove internal organs, but they end up leaving the body cavity uh, and the neck and the head. Uh, really, it's just a matter of risk and reward. How much energy and time is it going to take for them to consume different parts of the animal? So between the blowflies, between the carrion beetles, between the vultures, between the coyotes, there is a lot of activity going on around this deer carcass. And with that, there's a lot of movement, a lot of exposure, and a lot of, um, lack of better terms, spreading out of uh, organs, limbs, fur, and flesh as those large carrion feeders uh, consume only the bits they prefer. Now, any of us who have ever had to reheat a casserole in a microwave know darn well that leaving it in one large container and putting it in a microwave, it's not going to cook evenly and thoroughly. There are going to be cold spots. The best thing to do is to spread it out amongst the plate in one level surface, and that way it can heat thoroughly. The decomposition process works the exact same way. If you leave the body intact, the decomposition process, the breakdown of the cells, uh, the, the rotting of the flesh, which causes the smell, which attracts carrion, takes longer. But the minute that you expose it, the minute you spread it out and leave it in the sun and the heat, that's going to speed up the process. It's going to increase the rate of decomposition, the, the rate that the cells are going to break down, and that's going to increase the odor that is expelled. So I guess if, if the original question that the client or potential client had of, are there any problems with just leaving it for mother nature to take care of? There's positives and negatives to both sides of that decision. And it really is dependent on the size of the animal and where exactly the animal perished. If it's a small animal like a raccoon and it's under 20 pounds and it's far away from a structure or any recreation areas in a yard, it's really not a big concern. However, a large 135 pound deer near the home or backyard can cause problems for the extent of the decomp process as well as days after the body has actually been removed. When it comes to larger animals, the, the biggest concern and, and worry that I always have is for the safety of pets and children. Carrion feeders such as turkey vultures and black vultures and coyotes are very protective of their food sources. Uh, to the point where they will actually defend that food source with violent acts. 
And so if you were to introduce a pet or a curious child wondering what that noise is or what those animals are doing around that, that area, uh, that could be a potentially dangerous situation for uh, most pets and children. And unless you're crazy like me and uh, actually put dead animals on your property to attract carrion feeders so that you could further study their habits and behavior, uh, attracting coyotes and vultures to your property is probably not high on your list of things to do. Now, the second often forgotten issue with letting a carcass decompose naturally is the large number of flies and beetles that will be present long after the body is gone. So what happens is like I was saying earlier, the, the, the adult flies will land on the body and they will start consuming the soft tissues and they will lay eggs. Those eggs will hatch and a larva will start consuming the body. Once the larvae have reached a stage right before pupal form, they actually burrow into the ground underneath the carcass of the animal to go through the pupal stage in metamorphosis. And once they emerge as adults, they're right there at the, the carcass or the feeding source, the food source, to start the cycle again, where they're going to feed on the flesh, they're going to lay eggs, they're going to you know, provide the new cycle of flies or beetles. After that body is removed, you still have multiple, multiple days, if not a week, of cyclical pupil stage to adult of these flies and beetles. And so if you don't clean up the area that the animal died in, you will still have the presence of the flies and the beetles. And again, depending on the size and scope of the animal, that could be hundreds, if not thousands of adult flies and beetles that could be present a week and a half, two weeks after the animal carcass is gone. So lastly, I think this is the point where most customers or potential customers will say to us, okay, how do I go about getting the animal removed from our property? Now, the way that Huntsman Wildlife does it is not anything special. It's something that absolutely you, our listeners, can do on your own if it's something you choose to do. I'll walk you through our process, and if that's something you decide to do, then more power to you. But if you do decide that it's a process you don't want to do, of course, if you live in the Cincinnati area, Huntsman Wildlife would be more than happy to come out and help you take care of the unfortunate event of having an animal die on your property. Now, when we have a client or a potential client call in that says that they've had an animal die on property, we try our best to be on property within 24 hours of that phone call. Now, if the client demands that we be out there sooner, we will absolutely come out there. But of course, it's going to come at a, an additional cost. Uh, but if, if we can schedule it for within the 24-hour period, that way we can help control the cost and we're not charging an exorbitant amount of money um, for an immediate service or an emergency service. If we can schedule it the next day, that's going to help us better prepare uh, for transport and removal of the animal, and that's going to help save our customers a little bit of money in, in the long run. But again, if it's something that you're handling on your own, the sooner the better. Now, when we show up on property, more than likely what we're going to have to do, again, depending on the size of the animal, if it's a raccoon, we're going to bag it, 
We're going to remove the animal. We're going to clean up the area and we're going to walk away. If it's a larger animal like a deer, uh, like a large dog, like a coyote or something like that, we may have to, uh, for lack of better terms, disassemble the animal. Uh, we do that on site where the animal has perished. Uh, that way we don't contaminate other areas of the lawn. We're not going to drag the animal across your lawn, across your deck, across your patio, across your driveway or anything like that, spreading bodily fluids and, and fly larvae. And, you know, just, yeah, I, I've, I've seen some absolutely horrendous nightmares of pest control and wildlife companies tying a rope to the legs of the animal and dragging it up into the back of their truck and just leaving a mess in their wake. We actually break down the animal on site, bag it up in three millimeter trash bags, and then we put those bags immediately in the back of our truck. If the animal has been there a significant amount of time and we can tell that the larvae have decidedly burrowed into the ground underneath the carcass, uh, we will dig up the first four to six inches of soil, uh, bucket that up, remove that, and take that off site. So again, you're not dealing with the insect issues long after the animal has been removed. If we don't think that there are pupil stages of flies and beetles in the ground underneath the animal, uh, likely what we'll do then is we will treat the area that the animal died with a disinfectant, sanitizer, and viricide that we use for most of our animal cleanups. The product we use is labeled for exterior use, and once it has dried, uh, it poses absolutely no risk to any pets, children, or any inhabitants of the property. So once we've removed the animal and we've cleaned up the mess that it made, we are going to make a quick exit off property. We are not trying to be rude. We are not trying to avoid conversation or niceties. The problem is, is that the flies are going to follow the body. And if the flies have found the body on the backside of the property, more than likely we have parked our truck on the street or the front side of the property. So the longer that that body sits in the bags in the back of our truck, the more likely the flies are gonna be attracted to the front of the property. So the sooner we can get that animal far, far away from your home, the sooner the flies are going to go off and find a new uh, carcass to start the reclamation process on. So there you go, more or less the entire process that we go through when a client calls us when they have found a dead animal on their property, like I said, be it a raccoon or a deer, um, it's always, always best to get it cleaned up as quickly as possible. And if it's not something that you're willing to do, Huntsman Wildlife in the Cincinnati area would love to help you out. Otherwise, uh, if you are outside of the Cincinnati area and looking for resources, uh, the National Wildlife Operators Association has a website and there are plenty of companies throughout the U.S. that would be more than happy to assist in removing that animal for you. So now that I have completely grossed half of you out and the other half of you stopped listening about 20 minutes ago, uh, let's go into the top three of the week. That's right, we're talking about the wins the losses, and the learning moment. So this week's win is a little bit of an exercise in vanity, if I'm being completely honest. 
Uh, but we have been working on a studio and recording space here in the Huntsman Wildlife Worldwide Corporate Offices, also known as my basement. Uh, we have set ourselves up, so hopefully in another couple weeks, I will be able to simultaneously record this podcast and also record it on video because let's face it, if I could be Joe Rogan, I would be a very happy man. Now, uh, on to our loss for the week. Uh, we ended up losing a potential raccoon trapping job here in the Cincinnati area. Uh, Huntsman Wildlife is unique in the fact that we require all uh, trapping and exclusion work under $1,000, that the invoice is paid at signature of contract, not at the time of service or after service. Uh, that's a policy we have. I brought over from when I had my woodworking business. Uh, I got really sick and tired of working as a collections agency. Um, and I am no good at repossessions. And I don't want to spend time in court. So we have protected and insulated our company. And have decided that if we do not have the trust of the client enough where they're willing to write us a check. Uh, for the services at the time that they signed the contract, then that's just not a good fit for Huntsman Wildlife. Uh, I had a client who was not happy with it, had some choice words. I kept my cool. Uh, but again, it's one of those that when that does happen on rare occasion uh, for a second, I do second guess uh, my decision between myself and my business partner to operate that way. So, of course, that leads us into our teaching moment or our learning moment or learning lesson, lesson learned, whatever you want to call it. Uh, really what it comes down to is just starting to really get our, our policies and our procedures in place and adhering to them. Um, again, in the 10 months that we've been operating Huntsman Wildlife full-time here in the Cincinnati area, uh, I don't know the exact number, but I want to say we have between 250 and 300 clients uh, that we've serviced, which means 250 to 300 families uh, and some businesses have decided that they trust uh, myself and, and my company to perform the work that we promise we're going to work, uh, we're going to do. And so I just need to have faith in that process and know that, yeah, sometimes there are clients and customers that just aren't meant for my company. And that's fine. That's, that's understandable. Um, but again, coming from the, the woodworker, uh, furniture maker world where uh, you're a little crazy to walk away from a potential customer, um, it's, it's been a hard process, uh, but it's absolutely something that we're going to continue to stand by and continue uh, to keep as a company policy. Again, if it's under $1,000, we require payment at the time that the contract is signed. Over $1,000, uh, we, we require a 50% deposit and then 50% um, at the day that service starts. So that is gonna be it for this week. I wanna thank you so very much for listening. Uh, if you liked what you heard, please, please, please do not hesitate to share it. Uh, I would love to get in front of more people. But again, if there's seven of you listening, heck, if there's only one of you listening, I'll still make it. It's just nice to know uh, that the information's getting out there. We're going to put our contact information in the show notes uh, 
somewhere on your podcast player, you'll see a notes section that'll have information on how to get a hold of us. And if you're in the Cincinnati area, it's also going to have a link to all our socials on Facebook and Instagram, YouTube, all that fun stuff. And yeah, hope you guys have a good week. Stay safe. Till next time. See you, folks.